You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Hello and welcome. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you all. Welcome to another edition of Saturday Morning Live. You have joined myself, Usman Shazad Bhatt, and with me in the studio today is my, um, are my good friends, Shams Najam and Hamza Vanderman. Gentlemen, assalamu alaikum. I hope you are doing well. Waalaikumsalam. As always, it is a live and interactive show. This is your show. We want you to be involved. We want you to be part of our conversation. So anytime during the show, please feel free to call us. In fact, we encourage you to call us 0208-687-7878. That's 0208-687-7878. Or you can get in touch through any of our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK. Now for the first segment of the show, as we normally do, we're going to go through different news stories that caught our eye during the week. But um, before we get into the news stories, Shams, we actually ran into each other in Germany. So yes. we were both in Germany this last week, attending a um, annual convention of our community. Members, people who know of our community, they may have heard the word Jalsa. Jalsa is not a foreign word to them. Jalsa is an annual convention that takes place here in the UK. But wherever our community is established, it will take place. But this year... The Germany uh, branch of the MD Muslim community was celebrating its 100 years that the community has been established in Germany. And a number of people, in fact, 47,000 people attended that conference. Um, it was a huge conference. Uh, in fact, the where they did it as well, it was, um, it's called Meza. Mm. So the Meza apparently, it's like a huge... Um, if, you, if you imagine it like their version of what we call the Excel. Yeah, the conference yeah. so it's like a it, it the whole the whole complex is listed is a uh, conference center. It's a huge conference center, um, and it was massive. Really, everything was indoors. It was, it was a bit foreign because when we do it here, it, we build something from nothing, and like there's marquees going up, and it's like a tent city is what they call it. But there, it was like a ready-made. So what, it was too slick, too easy. too easy. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> so it's too easy. You want you're we, more of a battle. We, we were attending. No, no, we went as attendees, and we just enjoyed the whole actual experience. But how, how was it for you? I think with um, for many of us um, Brits, at least, I think Germany Jalsa is uh, it, it adds another element to your year, doesn't it? Because you normally when you're in the UK. Um, I mean, we're tasked with work. I mean, you you are still working yeah. out there, but but generally the case is that you know you're you're working in the UK, so you don't always get to enjoy it. enjoy it on, on on that level where you sort of soak in the atmosphere. You can sit down and listen, and so so you often um, Germany is the place where, at least for me, over the last few years has been well, aside from COVID, has been you know the place where you actually basically just chill out and you listen enjoy it from an attendee and you point enjoy of view. it from exactly an attendee point of view, and I think. Um, yeah, it was as you said. You know, it was it was very, very sort of big, and it was done in this place for the first time. And um, yeah, it was you know weather held up, and everything about it was sort of really nice in that sense. Uh, I think His Holiness blessed the occasion after sort of I think a good few four years, years, four years, yeah. four years, um, and and that's always the highlight, isn't it? And that's um, and actually I was saying to um, my wife on the way on the way back that we're, we're quite lucky because in what other sort of organisation or um, group or sort of community can you just you know fly over to another country and still feel like you're at home yeah in this sort of huge event and sort mm. of meet people and talk to anyone that you know that you meet so it's quite you're quite lucky quite blessed in that sense but you know um everyone enjoyed it both sort of guests um 
and attendees, everyone sort of. Yeah, no, it was actually, um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. I, I went there with uh, the re the review of religions. We went to cover it from a media point of view. And it was interesting because uh, the chief editor of Review of Religions, Amr Sfi, he wrote an article about Germany in general in the build-up to this whole convention. And he said that there was a study done in which half of the people that <clears throat> took part in the survey felt that Islam is not compatible with German, um, what do you call it? Uh, their traditions, their, their values, their, yeah, their values and their, their culture. So it was interesting, actually. We actually took to the streets in Stuttgart. Sort of, yeah. So Stuttgart was where the whole, I don't know if I'm butchering that city's name, but that's where the event was taking place. And it's really interesting to see, actually, that it's not what the common uh, citizen thought at all. So the, the the survey said that 50%? Yeah, of people who took part in that survey. Online? It was like a study that someone did, wow. conducted. And they said that it's not compatible with German kind of lifestyle. But when yeah, you ask the questions directly, yeah, we just said, look, this is what we've come come across the study. What do you think? Yeah, said so, no, no. The one common factor of why everyone disagreed is because they had interactions with Muslims. Said so, no, no. We know a few Muslims, and they're not like that, and they're very much compatible with. Sorry, German was, it, society. was it Islam is not compatible or religion yeah, Isla in general? Islam, Islam, Islam is not Islam, compatible okay. with German society. That's what they said. That was what it was. Hmm. So it's um, it's very interesting because it's. I mean, the wider conversation is why would someone feel that? Mm. Especially if you feel, if you um, take a step back and take religion out of our practices, but just look at the practices in general that, you know, okay, they, these practices of not drinking alcohol, not really promoting any sort of nightlife as mm. such, they don't harm society as, at all. In fact, they make probably society a better place, safer place. So it's, um, it's very interesting. I mean, the deeper you, the more of a discussion you have on this topic, more interesting was there anyone that said it's not compatible no we didn't come across anyone and and the, and the thing that was in common with everyone that was agreeing with us is the fact that they've had interaction with Muslims they've, mm. they're educated in what Islam is they're not afraid of they don't just take the media narrative and run with it they they have uh, experience of dealing with Muslims yeah. so it's um, it's interesting it's I think you should should take to the streets of France yeah, we drove past France, so that's about it. <laughs> we weren't planning to stop in France, but France was a uh, France is very. I mean, again, I would say interesting because it's it's crazy how close we are as mm. countries, mm. but and how different. Diff different we are at the same time. Yeah. So it's yeah. I mean, in France, it's the that only thing that the survey. only thing that comes to mind with France is like how it's not freedom of choice if we're practicing what we want to practice but when any other kind mm. of organization it's freedom of choice why don't we let them do it why you know it's that's the only hypocrisy that i see but it's, it's yeah. complete it's complete coercion isn't it? it's complete oppression if you look at it it's a complete opposite of what i suppose the aim is or yeah. what the aim is made to be aggressive liberalism yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> how have you been Hamza it's been a long time we've not been in the city well we're not actually regular listeners will probably know when Hamza's on the show Hamza's team is uh, very well spoken very <laughs> professional they know about what they like, but me and Shams are basically just uh, substitutes today we're like the 10th well, we and 11th man I'm we're, be <laughs> we're I'm like sure the backup the, I'm sure the listeners <laughs> were very happy <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, sure hear your, to hear your we're, we're, to hear I'm, your I'm soothing voice I'm trying to pronounce my T's. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, this is Hamza's show. And uh, 
the, the well spoken is just a disguise for yeah. lack of quality <laughs> in the actual con- in the actual content. How have you been, Amza? Good. I've been. I keep hurting my ankle, but it's nice. Weather's been good this week, so every, uh, exactly everyone at home's enjoying that. Been amazing. I don't know what the, if that means the summer summer times are going forward now. I've heard it's only this week. Well, I've not checked myself, but I've heard yeah. it's only a few more days, and then we haven't really had a summer this year. No, it's there's it. been this one week. This was it. Yeah. This, this one was week it. Was the summer, and I think it was hot. It was hot, <coughs> hot back in May. I'm going to say May. Yeah, for a, for a couple of weeks. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a couple of weeks. It was hot in May, but you're right. It's been. I think that's what the kind of. I think that's the, what they say about global warming's uh, effects are going to be, which is, you know, just untraditional yeah. forms of weather in in um, strange parts of the year. So maybe mm. that next year you get a weird period where April's really really hot. Uh, or you get a really dry winter and a really wet summer, or we might go back to what it was like last summer, where, you know, 50 degrees in uh, in June or July, or whatever it was. But I think it's just going to be extremes. I think that's what they, yeah. you know, that's what global warming is all about: extremes. That doesn't mean that you know you're not going to get some mild weather at certain points in the year, but that means other parts of the year might it might rain a lot. A wet summer in the UK is quite normal, isn't it? I don't know that had anything to do with global warming. I thought that was just that was just like a British thing. Well, it's been rain. It's, this has been abnormal. Wet, I think this yeah. summer hasn't it? Yeah, it's rained. A, it's rained a lot, and then we may get an abnormally dry winter, uh, and people don't realise that. And some people go, "Oh, well, that's nice, isn't it?" But it's the effect that it has on the ecosystems and you yeah. know, everything else causes trouble over a period of time. And you know, you got to remember, weather is weather's a short-term thing, climate's a long-term thing. So it's all about the the trends over a long period. So you can never use, you know, one summer's. Uh, yeah. Events to to predict Determine, what's going to happen yeah, next yeah. year, or to say that this was this is what's happening. Global warming, global warming. You know, you look at it. Look at the trends over 100, 200 years, really. Yeah. Uh, see what's going on, and I think look, again, we got extreme weather this summer. As yeah. I said, not in the traditional sense of extreme summer. It's gone the other way, where it's strangely mild and wet all the time. Yeah. Uh, and one uh, week of hot. It's one week of hot, and yeah. then we're just going to have to get used to used to that slightly strange those strange weather systems but then again that's the uk if you look in the continent it's been another super super hot summer for them 50 degrees in spain yeah. 50 50 degrees in italy uh, yeah. for long periods and so you know while our small little island here may have may not have been that hot but europe's been uh, europe's been boiling again yeah. wildfires wildfires everywhere it's been diff- it's been a difficult summer for for people across europe well, so what news stories uh, caught your eye? I know you've got your list in front of you. Let's, let's tackle this list of yours. <laughs> Been making some notes and being and making fun of that's that professionalism yeah, you just spoke about. You know, right, writing things down, writing things down. No, look, the big story this week is the incre- incredible story. I think of uh, Daniel Khalifa, who's on the on the run, managed to it, escape prison. Honestly. I think there will probably be movies and stuff. Uh, you know. Um, made about this books written about it series documentaries whatever because he managed to escape you know Wandsworth hmp wandsworth prison yeah. high high security prison uh, and he managed to escape um hiding under a food delivery van yeah. incredible hey, you know, story you know, i actually i actually saw uh, well, first hand, I've seen, yeah, no, I've seen him. 20,000? Uh, 20, you get 20,000. I've seen the delays it's caused at the ports. Yeah. So I, when I got back from Germany a couple of days back, um, you know, the way into Yeah, they Dover stopped and, all of the lorries, um, yeah. They, yeah, lorries were yeah. being stopped and, yeah. you know, road, yeah. So it has caused... Because of one person. 
That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, so they can't it, let him escape. Can yeah. They? So this guy um, accused of uh, in prison for uh, allegedly, you know, creating some bomb hoaxes. Yeah. Um, while he was in the army, and then also apparently the more serious crime uh, accused of providing intelligence and information to foreign powers, including Iran. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, as we we did just make a joke about it, but if uh, he is apparently around London, latest sightings were around Chiswick. If people do see him, yeah. uh, you know, let the police know, and you could be in for twenty thousand pounds. What more do you want? <laughs> helping your country, helping the bank balance. You know, it's all I, of it. You know, I can't believe. I still can't believe that's happened. Yeah. Honestly, like it's only because I, I, as an imam, I work in Wandsworth, so I work at the Fuzzle Mosque. So when it's happened, I was like, oh, this is. You never know where he might be. Oh, absolutely. And it's so odd because it's like, and how he got escaped actually well, seems so real. I, was I can't believe he just got under a... Exactly. I was speaking a to truck. a friend who works for the um, works for the Met and he was saying he, he could not believe it because, you know, he often goes into Wandsworth uh, and goes into other prisons and comes out. And, he's, and he was saying the level of security, even for him, a police officer in his police car going in, is incredible it's you know four or five stops on the way in yeah. vehicles checked inside underneath boot front everything checked multiple times both on the way in oh, and yeah. on the way out and you know he just couldn't believe it so there is there are there is some speculation yeah, about yeah, it, some, in, some kind yeah. of inside yeah. job or something but you know i think all this will come out no, uh, all this will come out in time we'll see another shawshank redemption yeah. <laughs> and no, the and the other the other issue he was he was saying is um budget cuts are have are causing problems you know it happens across the police and i guess if you keep you keep reducing budgets shortcuts are taken and people do start yeah, missed, to yep. people are under pressure if you aren't paying people as much money as maybe you used to then they may get uh, they may uh, feel attracted to some sort of bribe or something to look the other way yeah. it's not affecting me or this guy convinced them that he's not dangerous he's just going to run away a bit of money for the family mm-hmm. so I think the budget cuts element of it you know can't be overlooked and um but yeah, incredible story how he's got out, and I think we, you know, more information will come out in the in the weeks ahead, and then I think it's yeah, got I mean, it's got Hollywood so, written all yeah, over it, isn't it? It does, yeah, it does. It's are um, you hopeful that he'll get found? A bit cool, uh, absolutely, of yeah. course, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the amount of uh, I think there's over 150 police officers they've kind of tasked to just go and find him or somehow. Um, I think intelligence down, intelligence yeah, so services will be all yeah. over it. All the yeah. all the cameras, uh, all the cameras that we have here in the UK, across London, across the world, they'll I'm, all be su- being tapped into. I'm, I'm surprised they haven't found him yet, though. It, that's actually the more yeah. incredible thing, isn't it? That Using all, all the wealth technology, exactly yeah, that they haven't met. And he's only like you know, there's so much CCTV footage just come out as well that this is where he was last yeah. seen, or this is the route that the <laughs> and, we're, and we're all told that this is you know surveillance state, most cameras in Europe. You know, so yeah. I would have. You're absolutely right. Again, probably part of the part of the movie how he's been evading the technology. <laughs> you know, the cameras, you know, how he, yeah, Ulyss cameras. Ca- cameras. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I was just just reading up on it a bit as well. He wasn't actually held in the maximum security prison. Uh, he wasn't considered a significant flight risk. Um, and yeah, I think there were even checks under the van that they've done with sort of mirrors and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's a surprise, isn't it? it certainly is. Yeah. Um, I guess the question is how rigorously some of those checks are done. Mm. You're always going to be checked. 
question is how rigorous and does the mirror just get thrown underneath while someone's looking the other way yeah yeah you never know you're it right it can happen these things can happen well, right of course this is, well, this is the thing right when you're doing sort of the same thing every day right you kind of become numb to it don't you yeah and it just becomes a matter of habit rather than you know put some thought into what that is it's probably outsourced it's probably outsourced to, to another company or something yeah and things get missed we saw with you know just 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 a month before, a few weeks before you know the issue with the nurse yeah let be um, well, that was even more crazy because that was that had that seemingly was constantly raised. raised. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, yeah, yeah. Investigations and, and any order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So things do. Yeah, I mean it's crazy, but you know things do slip. Yeah, it's just surreal. It just doesn't sound real, to be honest. Just how it's happened, how easily it's happened, and the fact that he hasn't been found yet. It just, yeah, you're right. It'll be very interesting to see how it unfolds, but yeah, it's um, shocking actually mm. that this can happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It doesn't happen very often, though. You know, that's why it's so shocking, isn't it? Because, you know, in fairness to prison security and all the rest of it, I don't, I can't remember the last time this happened. It happens very, very, very infrequently. True. be interesting to see the stats of how many people have, one, attempted to escape, which is probably very high, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> two, actually escaped. Yeah, no, you're right, you're right. <laughs> What else has been in the news then? What else has got the big concrete story still rumbling? Uh, this is the story in the in the UK about reinforced autoclaved erated concrete. That's the technical oh, term for AAC concrete, which is uh, you know all intents and purposes a, a light a lighter weight concrete, which would have been used apparently in the 1950s through to 1990s as a way of reducing costs, so that you don't have to use full concrete. But here's a replica lightweight concrete that's a bit cheaper. You can save some money. But at the time, the thinking would have been that it does a reasonable job and therefore is worth the, you know, is worth the reduced cost. Um, I saw it as being compared. Like, I don't know much about this story, so I'm going to be asking you the questions as, as the expert. I'm certainly <laughs> not. So, a I'm not a concrete <laughs> expert. So. Some people are. Well, I've seen online they basically try and describe this as like the aero equivalent of concrete. So there's like. Yeah. Delicious. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> Start eating it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you know, whilst it holds up, there's a very high risk of it sort of crumbling. I think that's right. There's a, it, the, um, and the other thing I'm reading is that it requires more maintenance. Right. So, and in itself, apparently, not the worst kind of business uh, building um, construction material to use as long as it is uh, it's known that it's been used that's the first thing you got to know that you've got a different type of concrete there and therefore it can be checked regularly maintained properly and then it's fine so actually one of the developments was originally it was thought that the, it was mainly used in schools I think because schools yeah. had no budgets and right. it was made for smaller buildings let's say primary schools kind of, <coughs> some of those buildings are quite small yeah. often they, yeah. they don't require you know let's say you know for the, the, reinforcement, the, the, the yeah. reinforcement or or maybe that was the thinking back in the day but actually now it's coming out that it's been used in hospitals it's been used mm. in airports Gatwick yeah. and Heathrow and I think the difference there is the the, the, um, the what the experts are saying is at the airports it's known where it is exactly where it's known it's known where it was used and therefore that area is maintained in a different way to the reinforced concrete to make sure that it continues to have 
its um, its integrity. I guess it's mm. like if you're eating a to use the Aero chocolate analogy. <laughs> uh, if you know you're eating a, a, an Aero chocolate, you may not crumble it or break it in the same way that you would break a, a normal Galaxy. You'd eat it in a different way, but still has the same delicious uh, chocolatey output. So. <laughs> I think the point here is actually the dangerous thing is the government doesn't know where it's used in the majority of cases. There are some private areas that are like the airports that know where it's used, professionally run. They know where it is. They can look after it. I think and, it was Gatwick and Heathrow, right? Yeah, exactly. And they know where it is and they therefore actually the risk at Heathrow Gatwick is very, very small because they know what it is. They maintain it properly. Mm. Fine, right? <clears throat> the danger is in the school's that don't know where it is. Uh, and now they're all, all the schools and all the public buildings that were built during this time are running around trying to establish what it, where it, where it, whether it was, whether they've got reinforced concrete or whether they've got the, or the rack concrete. And how do you retrospectively know what your foundations are built of? Yeah. Uh, yes. Really, really difficult. And so we now are in a situation where government's trying to go run around and f conduct these investigations very quickly um, with a high risk to you know school children and and the like so we've got hundred schools that are known to have it hundreds of schools have closed down uh, first week of school and you know after after the disasters of covid and stuff closing yeah. schools down over the last Absolutely. few years you know the last thing that any parent or school church you know want was a to be told on day one, the week before your kid's supposed to be going back to school, it's closed again. Look, the re the alternative is school doesn't close, and you've got the you know the risk, the, the risk, unmentionable yeah. risk of school collapsing, which is obviously no school can take, and no parent would want uh, their you know the school taking that chance. But it does feel like a real mismanagement here by government. And over the last few days, it's becoming clear that government knew. Uh, that some of the that there were a lot more schools that had this problem than they were laying on, and so it is. It does appear to have been a issue that could have been resolved during the summer. Well, not just during the summer, just like years in advance. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, but they could have planned it. You're absolutely you right. They could plan have planned this so much better rather than just. <laughs> A knee-jerk reaction of okay, we got shut all the schools now. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, the story on the front page of the FT today is ministers ignored concrete advice. So in 2020, there was a call from uh, the specialist writing up the Buildings Act, calling for a complete register of all the used rack concrete in the country in public buildings. It was rejected. The government only wanted the register for buildings over seven storeys. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, there's an opportunity there three years ago to start planning, recognising there's a problem and then dealing with it. If you don't deal with it, this is a situation you just store up. And at the time, that would have been seen as a tough decision to make. How can we make this decision now, cost money or cause a lot of up lot upheaval? This was in 2020. 2020. So that's but like just before, that's COVID, yeah. during COVID. So if you don't make the decision, you know, that was a certain level of upheaval that they probably didn't want to go through. Well, if you don't take those decisions at the time, it comes back to bite you now the unprecedented upheaval is going to be had over the next year mm. um, where more of this stuff is found well, yeah you're right it's caused major major disruption hasn't it really I mean I, I got an email a few days back saying you know luckily the school my son's going to is, is not affected but just looking at some of the schools that are affected kids are having to learn remotely some are um, you know some arrangements have been made where children uh, 
are going to attend different schools for a period of time. And, you know, for, so, for some children, going into sort of that first year or reception or what it, whatever it is, it can, can be a bit of a daunting time as it is. And, um, yeah, with this disruption, it's, it's not going to help. It's not going to help sort of the parents. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how long this will, this will even take to fix. Because, um, as you said, how are you now going to start checking the foundations of sort of some of these buildings to then retrospectively try and you know do some you know some sort of remediation i mean it's yeah it's um let's see let's see how this unfolds but it seems like this is going to be one that's going to last a while yeah i, w- I wonder what the turnover time is in terms of t- for them identifying okay this is the school yeah okay now we need to fix the problem <coughs> not just fix the problem it's going to cost money yeah <laughs> and so where do the fun where do the Who funds come from it? most yeah. public most you know state schools don't have that much money just lying around if they did they probably would have spent it on something else already they don't just sit there on a surplus of cash. So where does the cash have to come from? Well, we've Local seen council. Strikes, haven't we? we yeah. If they had the money, teachers yeah. would have got it. And, where, and, and if, they, if the school doesn't have the cash, where do they go and ask for the cash? Local mm. council. Local councils, we know their budgets are stretched more than ever. We just saw yeah. this week Birmingham City yeah. yeah. Council. Well, that could be the next story, actually. Fits in yeah. perfectly. What's happened in Birmingham? Birmingham City Council, the latest council to declare be declared bankrupt. bankrupt. No money. Um, so uh, was it Croydon a couple of years back wasn't it uh, Woking couple Woking. Of, Woking last year I think Croydon yeah you're right as well a few years ago so this is a recurring problem where councils budgets are stretched make some let's say risky decisions that they think will pay off don't pay off all of a sudden their debts are up they can't pay off their debts and they're they're bankrupt and what does that mean it means only essential services basically continue any sort of uh, maintenance of anything that's seen as uh, not urgent doesn't happen anymore so you know big big problems in Bur- big so problems this, in Birmingham. If, if this school if a school in Birmingham was highlighted do you think it would be urgent well I think this is what they have to work out because then Birmingham City Council if they don't have the money have to make a request from central government and so, se- sort of fund now. so central yeah. government must undoubtedly be trying to put that fund together um, to, yep. to 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 um, to make these problems to fix these problems but as we know central <laughs> government at the moment doesn't like spending yeah. money either they you know everybody's saying they haven't got any money to spend unprecedented spending during covid government's got big debts it's another this, thing that, that you're is, right they'll make yeah. it work but it's another it thing work, where yeah. you know where the money has to come from somewhere it doesn't just come it's not just additional money so it'll come out of i don't know the nhs or you know construct yeah. we'll come out of another pool something. right it comes out of something so wherever someone's going to get money this will be seen as essential you're absolutely right and so i imagine funds will be unlocked for it but that just means they're going to be locked up from somewhere else where it was going to be spent keeping on finances actually is so crazy if you look at the world and the imbalance of like here there's we're lack of funds and we're we're living in uk uk is a very well established country the level of suffering is not what it is compared to some other countries that aren't as developed. <coughs> but then you look at like what's happening in the football world in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and you look at some of these contracts. And th- this is the point that I was making off air is that you look at some of these contracts that these players are getting and the money that's getting pumped into that league. And you think, yeah, this contract or the amount of money being used here, if it was used over the next few years, it could make a real impact on the world in a positive way but it's just the imbalance of how funds are being used across the world for different reasons 
is crazy to me. And I think this I mean, you don't even is, need to go to Saudi Arabia if you're if you're looking at it from that perspective to see the struggles of our government here, but yet the salaries of footballers within the country. And that's a whole topic in its own. But yeah, you can you can look even very a lot yeah, closer yeah, to yeah, home yeah. to see yeah 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 um, the disparity between yeah. I guess the amazing thing there. The difference there, amazing thing is, football clubs here are all private, essentially, aren't they? Money-making corporations <laughs> in their own right, shareholders um, make the money. Whereas in Saudi, there's government; it's all government-owned. Funded, yeah. So essentially, the government has uh, thought that the best use of government funds, this is the amazing bit, isn't it? Yeah. The best use of government funds is to spend billions of uh, dollars, pounds, on footballers. I mean, imagine here if uh, the UK government had these funds and instead of I don't know putting it into the health service or the education system or whatever they said you know where we're going to put all our money we're going to give Man United (laughs) two billion transfer war chest to go make some signings and we're going to give Liverpool you know one billion Go Crazy. go out and we're going to have the best league yeah. in the world because that's what that's what the people want. Yeah. <laughs> and you know the, the amazing thing is it doesn't see. I mean, maybe you guys know about it this more. It doesn't seem to be a backlash about it in from the people mm-hmm. in Saudi. It seems that people in Saudi up for it. Yeah, I think it's long term. Yeah. There, there's a, you know everyone can see now. There's a there's a sort of longer term vision, isn't there, in Saudi? And this is part of it. And you know what is it that they're building the line? They're doing something, yeah. I mean, have you yeah, heard so of that? I've heard of that, yeah. They're building this sort of major city. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, um, <coughs> you know, there, there is this, you can see now it's uh, this longer-term sort of goal to bring sort of the world over to that side, really. Well, what happens if the UK government said that to you, Shams? They said, we've got this long-term vision. <laughs> <laughs> they had the money. And we're going <laughs> to... They've got it, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's the amazing That's the amazing thing about that. And the other amazing thing is that, you know, that I hadn't quite... Because it's all state-owned, there's those clubs, um, they don't... You know, how, how does who decides which club gets to spend the money? The clubs go to the government effectively and say, we'd like to buy, you know, whoever, Neymar. Yep. Can we have the funds to buy them? And then the mm. government just says... Yes or no? So the club, the clubs don't even have their own budgets. The clubs go to the government for sign off on, on, the, works, on, the, yeah. on the central pool of Saudi league, wow. Saudi league money, um, which is another w- amazing way of setting up a, a league with your control. It means you can basically determine which four clubs, five clubs are going to be your kind of marquee global brands, and only they are going to get the uh, the big budgets, and the rest will still get some budget, but you know. They're not gonna. They're not gonna be signing the the mark the marquee assets. You you mentioned Neymar, and I mean, if you look at his contract, his package that he's getting, the money that he's getting, I just looked at this one like uh, figure. It just stood out that Neymar will receive around five hundred, so half a million dollars, U.S. dollars, for each Instagram post that promotes Saudi Arabia. That means technically, in a day. <laughs> which a lot of these people who use social media do, you can make two or three posts creatively <laughs> that just promote Saudi Arabia and within a day you've made one and a half million dollars. <laughs> Not doing anything. Like, and, you see the, the, and, it's how, a, and it's actually, that is a smart clause in the contract, isn't it? Because yeah. there's immediate return on that. 
Oh, yeah. not immediate return, but that's but, you know that that's what it's all about for them, isn't it? It's about as uh, you said, it's all about building National the profile benefit, of the yeah. country. It's all about uh, promoting the country. It's all about bringing tourism money in. It's all about repositioning the country. What people think about it. And Neymar. So what better way to do that? There's one way: is the government doing it themselves, having tourist marketing, advertising campaigns, buying players. What they really want is the players themselves out there talking about how great the country is to live and play football and come on holiday on. And you know what? A, a little nudge, yeah. a little nudge to help uh, help players in that direction. You do you like know? it here, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think from the player point of view? Because you know, for example, at like Henderson, yeah, he got a lot of stick yeah. <clears throat> for going. So Amazing it, interview this week as well. Actually, I'm not did. actually come across it. Yeah, so I know. Not, I've just read a uh, heading saying that you know it's not for the money. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't feel love. <laughs> <laughs> not for the money. <laughs> I didn't feel wanted at Liverpool. Yeah. I just saw that before. But it's um. What Is that what he said? Them? He said, uh, to be fair to him, he said, as uh, as this one said there, he said, um, he said that the the bid came in, and uh, he said he didn't feel that wanted. Klopp or yeah. FSG uh, particularly wanted him to stay. Which I think, for the amount of money they were offered for him at that age, well, you know, that's I think that's going to happen, right? Yeah. I think it's already previously been said that Klopp wanted him to play the uh, Milner role so you know not play yeah. that many minutes come on I think really second half of the season when there's loads of games you know and be that bit part player and Henderson you know publicly already said he didn't want to play that role so obviously they didn't you know make a big and then when that money comes in I think he thought if they said oh no you're a massive part of our plans please stay then maybe he would have he knew he wasn't so he thought he'd go and I think he what he was saying about the money was he said um I'm not on the the crazy. I'm not on the money that's been bra- that's been banded around out there. He said that doesn't mean I'm not being paid well. But <laughs> <laughs> some of the figures, some of the I'm figures, are, what name yeah, getting. yeah. Which <laughs> I think basically he's being he's earning like a tenner less than what's being chucked <laughs> out there. And um, and he said, but he said he didn't. He wasn't doing it all for the money. He respects different cultures and ways mm-hmm. of lives, and he wants to come out there and and uh, experience that and see that and you know I, the th- I think the funny thing was how defensive and how many different reasons he was trying to come up with rather than just um, you know it. I'm at the back of my I'm at, at the back end of my career I've done everything I did at Liverpool I wasn't going to be starting for them this year so I needed to go good offer came in financially yeah. lucrative why not and it's a like, that's I mean, what you've got to say. Some of these guys have it? tripped themselves yeah. up. That's what I mean. Really. It's the defensiveness. It's the defensiveness and it's what, you know, they've previously said sort of expressed that around the World yeah. Cup and all of that. And I think they've they've kind of now... But can you really blame them? I you think know, we that's sometimes you, forget that it's a job, yeah, exactly. really. That's what yeah. we're yeah. looking can for the really best blame contract. So it's like boxers. You know, this is Fury and Garnu fight. It's absolute rubbish, but... You know, it's I make- can't believe the media <laughs> spin on that. That Mike Tyson, because now he's training him yeah. for two weeks, maybe Ngannou can knock Tyson Fury out. <laughs> and the media has such a role in like selling tickets. And it's but, I mean, too- even that's in Saudi, isn't it? Yeah, and that's in Saudi. And yeah. it's all. It, I mean, essentially, it's for money, isn't it? Really, that's. I mean, your uh, these careers are short-lived. Yeah. 
And the only thing with Tyson Fury, he admits that as well, though. Yeah. Like he, in every interview, doesn't shy away from saying, "I'm only fighting for money now. I couldn't yeah. care about legacy. Couldn't care about anything." But the, the issue I have with that is that's all fine. Go and fight for as much money as you can. But where you've spent ten years talking about being the best, I'm, I'm the best, and I will fight yeah. anyone and everyone. You've now got an opportunity for. Yeah, you know, unified, undisputed, and you're refusing, or what it seems like anyway. We don't really yeah. ever know. The only thing with <laughs> what he's saying doesn't make sense to me is that I would have thought the fights that have the most money in it now are the big fights. He's not going to get paid a huge amount. I mean, after Ngannou, can he fight? Yeah, there's um, there's that he said he wants to go into UFC, which might be a lot of money, but I'm sure that he would probably get more money to fight Joshua. I don't think there's a bigger fight in terms of financially. No. Or maybe Usyk. No. Yeah. Even Usyk won't be, I think, financially... As lucrative as Joshua. Uh, yeah, as Joshua. Mm. Especially if Joshua beats Wilder. That's mm. a huge fight then. Well, I don't even know if that's happening now. There's, yeah. there's talks that that's also fallen down. Did, yeah. uh, did you watch the Eubank-Smith rematch? I did watch the rematch. I actually was um, rooting for Eubank, actually. Yeah. yeah I yeah. felt so sorry for him. Did you? And I just liked his reaction. You know when he, how he lost, um, and like he never like he mentioned it, but he didn't mention it. Like you know, I got elbowed, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. You'll see uh, what happened again. Then the new coach came in. Oh, dealt with, yeah, and who, I don't know what's happened with him. By the way, yeah, true. Is he still he, in prison? I don't know what's happening. Mind, yeah, I think. But it's um, yeah, it's a very interesting fight. I think. Um, Again, I think with him, he's at that stage of his career now. It's just all about money. Mm. Whatever makes the most sense. He's not chasing world championships. No one's putting his name as a contender to be the next champion. He needs to be like, what do you call it? The, he's not the... He somehow tricked the whole world into <laughs> believing he's an amazing fighter <laughs> yeah, throughout no, his no, career. When no, what I say, actually, he's not like uh, the... What do you call it when you're next in line? Mandatory. He's not the... Any, he's not <laughs> any, like, of any of the belts, he's not mandatory. But here we're spinning a narrative of how he's like he's the best performance of his career, mm. and now he's got mm. so many options. When actually his options are where where's the most money? Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing. Even when you go back to Liverpool, like um, there was talks about Mohamed Salah mm. and 150, maybe 200 million. And then again, if you're a business, you're going. You're he's, not, going. he's going. He's going. He's going. In, he's going in January, isn't yeah. he? They just. The, I think he would have gone if it was early. Him going. Forget if you take the fan narrative out of it. If you're running that club and you think the best years of this player are behind us, yeah, yeah, he's going. He's got to go. No, we wouldn't get two hundred million yeah. if of he course. was in his prime. So yeah, yeah. he's got to go. The only problem they've got, I don't think they can do it now because they can't buy anyone. They can't literally can't get anyone because the window's closed here. Yeah. So I think, but I think you're right. In January, he's off. Gone. He's yeah. gone, and they're going to try and get someone. But two hundred million is crazy, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Two hundred million. Thirty-one. He's thirty-one as well. I mean, still amazing player. He's thirty-one. Do you think we'll see ever a time where someone goes for like a billion? <laughs> but they're paying like Ronaldo that much, aren't they? Not in, it's not the transfer fee, but they're paying him that much. Well, money. Of course, his, so they yeah. got funds, haven't they? They'll just yeah. keep keep going. I mean, if Salah goes for two hundred now at thirty-one, then you know next year. The problem they've got is they at the moment. It will, it will I think it will happen because they got to get someone in their prime. Yeah. That's what they. That's what they really need. They've got big stars all at the end of their careers, really. And what they need to get, or what they'll be trying to get, is someone, you know, absolutely prime, like a prime time. 
Well, they tried. They tried Mbappe, didn't they? Yeah. So I think these guys. That that's going to take a few years. That's going to take a few years for that league to get a bit better. More players to go there. You know, prime time player to go there. But there'll come a point where there'll be big money on the table for those for those guys for one guy, and he's going to look at the money and go, "I'm going to have to take that, aren't I?" I think the key to whether whether this league is a success is Champions League. If they somehow manage to get into the Champions League, of course they will. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't? Well, I mean, this is I think where the footballing world needs to stop them. Don't let them come into the Champions League. No matter why? how much they pay, it's got nothing to do with Europe League. What do you mean? Champions League Israel, play, Israel, Israel is yeah. in the Eurovision Song Contest mate <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you had an interest in the Eurovision Song Contest it's a tough one for this, this, is not, this is not a problem it's no. true this it's not I problem. I, I think this if they is, get in they'll have to be in the, they'll have to do the qualifying stages right this is where you need to stop them if you what want, are you on about if you don't want this league to be a problem why what do you mean if you don't want this league to do a takeover why is it a problem because at the moment, no, like you said, no player in their prime is thinking, I want to go play with um, Kante or Salah at the end of his career. Yeah. Let's go Saudi. At the moment, the selling point is, I'm not going to get any game time now. Like, I've passed my peak. I'm not worried about winning trophies. Why don't I live a really good lifestyle over there? Yeah. Weather's really nice. I'll get loads of money. And I still get to play Champions League. And I, no, no, this is the thing. You shouldn't get to play Champions League. I think the moment you... If they get into Champions League so and, then they, and then they start creating another PSG... Look, PSG haven't been able to do it. They've never won it. They've gotten close. Exactly. So what's the problem? Because that's a selling point. You don't want it to be a selling point. You shouldn't let money define... They think a lot that's more exactly what the premiership is. What yeah, you want about? Yeah, That's why loads of players come here rather than playing anywhere you, else. You, no, you, here, you guys love history. your love well, here, your football. They come a lot of history. For example, like the history gonna, of like Liverpool. Yeah, Man but history Chelsea. just gets developed over time, and in a hundred years' time. Yeah, but after winning, history is like after winning, or there's a culture of going through a system. These lot are just buying the system. Well, what did Man City do? <laughs> Yeah, but, you, but, but this is the problem, right? <laughs> Newcastle yeah, doing? You, this is, yeah, but it's within this league. I can't believe you're not up for it. <laughs> no, I'm not up for it. Do you, do you, do you not, not think it. it's going to have... Um, I mean, I'm not as into football as, as you guys are, but do you not think it's going to have a longer-term sort of negative effect on European football, Premiership, especially if it opens up to Champions League, then you're going to get a lot more sort of... People I think say, you lose, I'm still going to play no, in the I think Champions you're right. League, let I think, me go. I think you're right, you lose, you lose the premiership, will yeah. lose players, but that is in the same way that, you know, the Italians are probably sitting there going, oh, we lose a lot of players now to the premiership. premiership yeah. So why should the premiership... But this saying, is the thing, you're right? right you open it up to the Champions League, yeah. you get a lot more people then going because yeah, yeah. they still get to play in the Champions League. Look, I mean, look, you're right, personally, you know, you want to see people play in the premiership, mm. but it's... It's nothing more than just a kind of personal preference argument. That's not a great argument for uh, for stopping these things from happening, is it? I mean, just oh, I quite like playing, watching him play in the Premiership every week. Yeah. So we should create rules that stop it. I mean, if you're, you know, the Italian leagues, they they could have said the same thing. Oh, we should create a new rule so that people no, can't lose players I mean in the Premiership. Sort of longer term perspective, does it sort of? drop the value of the premiership over time because I'm, I'm hearing and again my knowledge of football is great I'm hearing they're also offering contracts to semi semi pro sort of players and yeah. and letting them sort of start off their careers there and so what you saw yeah, it's a great tool for that. It, it, I'll be honest it's a great it's, tool it's for great. that it like is. if I saw any up and coming player here because here like one of the deeper issues is it's very difficult for example we're all Pakistani yeah so it's very difficult for a Pakistani boy who's born and raised here 
British Pakistani to kind of break through the barriers into professional football. I would definitely say to anyone that's got the talent, go out there. Go out there. Mm. For the cash, yeah? No. <laughs> go out there. Especially if you haven't got remember, talent. Remember, I'm your agent. <laughs> Don't forget. Don't forget, I'm, I'm your agent. Don't forget who started this. <laughs> but there's a small opportunity there. Mm. And the thing is, it's like I know we know a few people that have tried their luck with football. And because they're super passionate and they don't, they're tunnel vision, they don't want to hear about anything else. So they're going to try even if they're suffering. And they're on these really like low paid contracts and they're not playing high, like high level football. So if you're going to do that. Personally, I think it's great. Look, I don't, I don't really buy this sports watching argument. The way it's been done in Europe, it's been done in the US and it's just now become a topic because it's out there. I don't really buy it. But yeah, yeah. I'm just saying more so for the value of the premiership. Yeah, yeah. To the That's guys why that love. coming to Champions League. Mm. That's because I love the Premiership. Because oh, we live here, we love the Premiership. We want the Premier team, Premier League teams to be at the top of the top of the food. What do you call the food chain? Do you care that much? You really care that much? But the Premier League, yeah. Just the value of. I mean, I get it from a kind of uh, interesting, exciting watching it week in week out. Yeah. Do I care that the Premier a team from the Premiership wins the Champions League? No, I don't care. Why do I care about that? <laughs> no, I don't for me, I, 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 for me, it's always been a thing of I want the the best players in this league, yeah, yeah, that's the best the, managers yeah, yeah. in this league, and that only happens when you win. If if there's like a five year stretch of Madrid or Barcelona or Milan winning the Champions League, Madrid has just done it. They've been, they've been know, winning know, it for five. Now, literally, now it was, it was five yeah. years in yeah. a row, wasn't it? Was, it was, yeah. What's that? When, uh, I said, if there's a if there's a stretch of like a team from Spain or Italy mm. or somewhere else winning Champions League for a number of years, naturally it has an effect on the next generation. They're going to look at those clubs and say, I "Well, think, that's where I want to go." Play. I think it'll be. I think it'll be. I think it'll be a nice addition to the uh, uh, European, you know, league structure. They're used to having it all their own way, and now there's another, there's another big boy in town big competing. Let's see what see what you got. Yeah, you can't yeah. rest on your laurels. Let's see yeah. what you know. What you're going to bring to the table, guys? Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Last story, more serious. On a, on a on a more serious note. No, on a more serious note. Elon, should we do Elon Musk? Yes, do it. please. Elon Musk always uh, take you about ten minutes to, for us to to explain to us what's actually happening. Because <laughs> last I heard, he's going to be in a fight. Well, it's not, it's not, it's not happening. happening. Yeah, I what with Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, yeah Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> I'll in Saudi. Like, <laughs> that's the only place I would host it to be honest yeah because those guys are broke yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no so Elon Musk interesting guy he's one of his business ventures I think this is quite an interesting story genuinely one of his bin- in one of his business interests Starlink um, the communications company where he he decided to fund and invest in low uh, space orbits uh, satellites so those are satellites that help you with your Wi-Fi uh, satellites that help you with your sat nav GPS location all that type of thing um, and uh, you know usually historically those types of services had been in the control of national governments um, mm-hmm. but again you know maverick that he is he decided to start investing in that and run it as a private enterprise and now he's got one of the leading uh, offerings in the world you know he's gone, gone past US government's offer um, gone past European um, systems um, and so he's got one of the leading uh, systems there and interestingly that's also the type of technology <coughs> that is used for uh, long-range missiles 
uh, to set um, you know coordinates for what you want to hear yeah. and it's also used for um, uh, you know communications messaging in these difficult areas so you know Ukraine Russia where there's lots of uh, you know warfare and um, stuff going on at the moment it's a type of systems that is uh, really critical uh, and this week he was accused of um, you know aiding the Russians um, <clears throat> and obviously he's got um, uh, quite public views on um, on who you know on who's right and wrong in that in that war, um, but he was accused this week of um, not allowing the Ukrainians to use his uh, satellite system in order to hit uh, Russian uh, targets, uh, and he openly came out and said, um, "Well, that's correct. He hasn't turned on his Starlink system in Crimea, so it's not that he's withdrawn it from certain individuals. He yes, just hasn't." He just hasn't turned it on for anybody. Uh, and what he said is he did that to avoid complicity in a major act of war. So he was basically saying if he had turned it on in Crimea, the Ukrainians would have used it to then hit Russian assets, which would have caused a huge escalation in the war. And he didn't want to be uh, complicit in that. And so he's left it off. Uh, so it's quite an interesting kind of moral uh, uh, moral point here. Um, you know, his view was he kind of create this company to help people mm. uh, with their uh, self-driving cars yeah. uh, and uh, and watch Netflix uh, yeah. and other kind of location-based yeah. services to work really efficiently. That's what he created it for. Uh, and now it's be, not, not yeah. to be used in war. Now it's being used in war and... Obviously, it's a very difficult situation, but he's decided that it's not going to be turned on and he's getting quite a lot of flack for that um, because obviously everybody, uh, you know, in the Western media and, and the like wants um, the Ukrainians supported uh, and this act wouldn't equally, let's say, equally help the Russians and the Ukrainians. It would disproportionately help the Ukrainians and so it's therefore seen as a uh, act that has um, gone against the Ukrainians and people are very angry about it. It's almost like a Tony Stark feel to it. Oh, yeah. Well, he is modern day Tony Stark. Well, modern, I say modern day, modern, real life, yeah, real, real life. life. I mean, real, real life, life uh, Tony Stark. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a crazy story. And it's, it's it's crazy to see people's opinions on this story, actually. How not everyone thinks the same way. Because I, I was online just reading different people's thoughts on what he's done. And obviously, mm. some people uh, agree, but some people strongly disagree. That actually, you know, that shouldn't be the case. So it's... um. Yeah, it's one of those things that when you have that much, not power, I would say, but that much influence on the world, and one decision actually could really change um, the future for one particular part of the world. It's I can't imagine how, how he sleeps at night. To be honest, making trying to trying to make these type of decisions. Well, yeah, exactly. What? It's not simple. I mean, what he said was, I'll just read some of his quotes. Mr. Musk said that while the system had become, and this is the quote, become the connectivity backbone of Ukraine all the way up to the front lines we are not allowing Starlink to be used for long range drone strikes so he doesn't mind them using it for their comms but not for long range he reiterated, he reiterated this point how am I in this war Starlink was not meant to be involved mm. in wars it was so people can watch Netflix and chill and get <laughs> online for school and do good peaceful things not drone strikes so that's kind of where he's coming from but as you say it's murky this is Moral. Technology and modern warfare now, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. Um, and what would you guys do? I mean, I can completely see it from 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 his perspective. Is he? If he's, you know, if there are requests for him to turn something on, and it, then explicitly, you know, he's explicit complicit in this act. 
he's got to live with that. So mm. surely it's his decision to make. And I think that the media, again, it's um, it's not forgiving. Like, and it's not loyal to anyone, really. It can just, he might be doing something for the greater good, and then the narrative that's spun around the world is, oh, Elon Musk is against that Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like it's. But then at the other end of it, maybe you just switch it on and say, look, this is what I've designed it for, and this is what it's for. But whatever anyone it. uses it, it's it's nothing to do with me. And it's a tough, it's a tough sort of moral dilemma isn't it I don't know I, I think he likes especially like what you see he's done what he's done with the new Twitter is it X, X. call it X like yeah, he X. just branded it he made sure people know that this is my this is my uh, little thing now so it's a, and he's trying to fix it in his own way so I, I think he cares about what people think about him he I don't think I don't think he wants to be seen in that in that in any sort of wrong light but more importantly he doesn't want to probably do what's wrong to him um, and that's what sounds like is the most important thing I think that's right and, and also I think the, the reaction to it is probably uh, also as you can well imagine all around the context of his previous comments so you know he doesn't get he doesn't get much of a free pass these days also all the stuff on Twitter he's not mm. particularly liked anymore let's say and so it's all that context so you know he I'll just read this bit out he provoked anger last year when he proposed a plan to end the war which <coughs> suggested the world formally recognised Crimea as part of Russia and asking residents of regions seized by Russia last year to vote on which country they wanted to be part of. Russian chess grandmaster Gary Kasparov said the plan displayed moral idiocy. <laughs> so I think the point here is that on one hand he wants to um, and it's interesting on the one hand he wants to take a step back and say nothing nothing to do with me. And then we pro on the other hand. And then on the other hand, he wants to get involved with, oh, these are my suggestions for how you start the war, how you finish the war and how you should be acting. And it's just a very, as you say, it's a very difficult place. He's a very, very powerful, rich guy. And, you know, he's kind of living with that, isn't he? He yeah, just kind yeah. of wants to do things and not that, do things and that, live it as that, he wants. That type of... Um uh, what do you call it? Suggestion. It's, it reminds me of like you know, for example, like because our parents are back from Pakistan, you ever start talking about Kashmir to them, and like because I was born here, so like I've not got that like real feeling of what it means, like the whole battle of Kashmir. So I, that's something I'll say to my parents. Okay, why don't they just like have a little vote, <laughs> see what they want to do? Because and then you realise, okay, yeah, he's a kid. This guy doesn't know. What he's about. <laughs> so much history here, and this guy saying, why don't you just take, get get the residents to take a vote? God, there's so much history. So that's I feel like with with him suggesting that it's like when you're not emotionally invested in something, yeah, that, yeah. you don't know the history or something. You don't know the real life struggle that people are having on the ground level for this one particular thing, regardless of how small it is. That's when you start giving suggestions, like, why don't you just get the people to vote <laughs> where they want to... If you actually think about it, it's actually insane. Like, you set out as a businessman, you become this billionaire, but you become, yeah, you're so rich, you're so wealthy, you have so much influence, but then all of a sudden you're now like you're kind of stuck in the middle of this sort of warfare just because what you've developed um, yeah. you know no one would crave that well I'd say no one people would crave that that level of power but to be in the middle of it and then to have to make these decisions yeah I mean it, it, it can't be easy at least you, you know he's not going to he's not going to get bribed I mean he's got so much money that no, <laughs> no amount of money would look enough for him to be like you know okay hey, hey just turn our eye on this mate we're going to give you this amount of money <laughs> <laughs> Saudi yeah. can't buy him. <laughs> Saudi won't be able to buy him. 
Uh, Bring your technology over here. We'll give you <laughs> give you half a million for every tweet. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna go to the news break, but when we come back, we are gonna talk about suffering. There's another news story that we're gonna touch upon, uh, the earthquake that took place this morning, but then it's gonna lead to a wider conversation of suffering in the world. So please do make sure you join us after the break. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording. And lines are now closed. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live with myself, Usman Shazad Bhatt, Hamza Vanderman and Shams Najam for the first hour of the show. You're just talking about different news um, stories that caught our eye. Uh, and now we're going to go on to another topic. Um, but before we do, it is a live and interactive show. You can have your say. We want you to have your say. Be part of our conversation. 0208-687-7878. That's 0208 0208- Six eight seven seven eight seven eight, or you can contact us on any of our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK. Now, I believe there was um, a new story we left deliberately for the second part because it links into our topic that we're going to cover. Hamza, if you want to just introduce, yeah, it's a very story. very sad story. Uh, news out of um, Morocco uh, overnight um, that a big earthquake, six point eight on the Richter scale, um, has caused. Um, 600 people have have died so far more than 600 people so huge Mm. amount of damage in Marrakesh Uh, so obviously very well heavily populated uh, part of Morocco Uh, (coughs) big earthquake not used to earthquakes in that part of the world Um, Mm. and so the infrastructure and such isn't you know isn't uh, designed to withstand it and so we've seen lots and lots of deaths big uh, 600 deaths but you know you can imagine how big the injury like severe injury toll is and if it's mm-hmm. 600 deaths after um, you know the first morning you know we'll wait to see what those yeah. numbers are going to come out of but a very a very sad story yeah. and shows um, you know the impact and power that these um, you know natural phenomenon can still have on countries around the world yeah no of course our thoughts and prayers with all of those who are impacted um, and of course our services are there to help them and support them in any way they may need but this links to our topic in terms of suffering now the reason we're talking about this topic here as Muslims our core fundamental belief the structure of our belief is based upon the belief in one God Um, but one common question people do ask is that if there is a God why is there so much suffering? Um, so I don't know what your guys' thoughts are before we, we actually play this clip, but what, what are your thoughts on um, this topic or ever like de- facing a conversation with someone uh, who may be suffering? Any thoughts? Or are you just real strong believers and you just never, it's never come across your mind? It's a, it's a, it's a very difficult one, isn't it? Um, I never feel that I have the a strong answer to the question uh you know other than to you know think it's Allah's plan um and um uh and and you know that that those are the tests and challenges that humanity goes through for the for the kind of greater good um but i'd never feel comfortable on it yeah it is a difficult uh conversation to have you're absolutely right um yeah i think i was going to say the same it's um you know, obviously, as as Muslims, we believe uh, uh, in in the will of God, but we also believe that, um, you know, there's there's often the argument that even with or without sort of natural disasters, there's still suffering, 
um, you know, wh- whether we, you know, the, the, because people often try and use this as as an argument to can you can you believe that you know there's a God that allows this suffering, but actually, if you take God out of the argument and the suffering's still there, um, you know, yeah. suffering still exists. Yeah. Um, and I think that someone once put it as you've got to kind of take it as you know there there are these sort of I think the argument the the example given to me once was there's a there, you know there's someone sort of who 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 gets drunk and he's driving a car and crashes the car you don't blame the car but you blame sort of the design and sort of you know the the world around it or um, you know this suffering of of humans where you can see on on in one sort of world or country people are living amazing lives in another country people are you know, yeah. struggling you've got to then attribute that to humans rather than to god yeah. i think that was the point that was that, that was yeah. being made but yeah as, uh, as i'm just saying it's I, a I difficult think, one i think there's one point you made is actually really valued in terms of there's suffering in terms of like the suffering that people will go through natural um uh what do you call them incidents like for example an earthquake volcano erupts whatever mm. it may be but then there's a suffering that people face from other people's Actions, Actions yeah. and you don't have to look far back into which talk about Ukraine and Russia. Like, if you think about the uh, the death rate compared to like just any one incident, or if you go back to any any of the world wars or any of the any conflict that's happened between any two parties, which is man-made, this level of suffering is a lot more. But that's just one point. We're going to talk about this a lot more when we come back. But we're just going to go to this clip, a uh, clip rather of Imam. Azar Hanif, who is serving as a missionary in the USA, and he spoke on this topic during the God Summit, which is hosted by the Review of Religions. We'll be back after this clip. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. We're having a opportunity through this global summit to discuss a topic which is extremely important to the youth of the world and especially the youth of the Jamaat Ahmadiyya. I have been asked to talk about the concept of suffering in terms of religion. In this respect, I wanted to begin with a a contemporary study that was done in America some years ago. And they asked Americans that if you had a chance to ask God one question and you knew God was going to answer, what question would you ask him? Based on this survey, the number one question that people were saying they would love to ask God, this question, was, God, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Why is there so much pain? Now, this question, again, was years ago, but you can see, particularly now, under the global pandemic, how many more people will be asking this question right now to God Almighty? God, what we just went through last year in 2020 and continuing to go through in parts of the world? Why? They say you're a God of mercy, a God of love, a God of compassion. The prophet of God of, of, of Islam once said, when he saw a, a, a woman questioning the same thing, that, oh, prophet of God, look at this scene in front of me. And what she was watching was a woman running on a battlefield and everywhere she saw a child who was crying out, suffering for the, perhaps the mother wasn't around, or something was going on. She would pick that child up and, and hold it close to her breast. And she said to the prophet of, of Islam, Muhammad, peace be upon him, that is not God at least as merciful 
and compassionate as this mother who is caring for every single soul she can see in her sight and lifting that soul up and relieving it of its pain and suffering. So the question is not one modern just for America, but it's a question that's always been there, in fact, throughout human history. That if you say God is good, God is mercy, God is great and has control on all things, then why this world has so much trouble? How, how come people go through so many stresses and strains in life? And even good people, we're not talking about people who don't believe in God, even the believers in God. In fact, in some cases, the believers seem to have it worse than the disbelievers. So it's a question that really causes a person to stop for a moment and think. And this is the ultimate question that atheists say, those who don't believe in God, that's the big wall. That's the insurmountable object. That's the elephant in the room that you cannot give us a satisfying answer for. And so even the believers, I'd imagine even the youth in the world, sometimes struggle with this question. If they can't answer it, they haven't found a good answer. And yet, if you look in the scripture, the beauty is that if an American can ask this question in the 21st century, do you think God didn't know it back 14 centuries ago when he sent his prophet Muhammad to this world and began talking to him about what's going to happen in the world he created himself and the people who's going to be in his world? Do we believe God did not know that someone's going to ask the question, God, why did you, do, why you create all this pain and suffering and misery in the world? Of course he knew. And he answers the question in the mouth of a prophet in Arabia to satisfy the mind of a person in America. What did he say? There are many points in scripture where he speaks to the prophet of Islam and tries to explain and help us understand that it's not about suffering and pain. It is about love and mercy if you understood the whole plan of life. And that's where we have to first look, the plan of life. So in a verse of the Quran, God is speaking to the Prophet of Islam, and he's saying to him that, Tabarakaladhi, blessed is he. The Prophet of God is talking about God. Tabarakaladhi biyadihil mulk. In whose hand is the entire kingdom? So again, the Prophet is saying, that being is blessed who has control all, all of creation. Right? And he describes this being as one, he has power over everything. Not just he is, he's like, like the king, he is the controller, the master, the author of the entire universe. So, yes, definitely, we should ask this being who has control. And then the next verse says that this is the being then who's going to tell us his plan of life. So, now if we're going to ask, okay, what's the mind of God? That question you asked him, right? Oh, God, what's, what was your mind when you brought this kingdom into being and you had power over it? And he says, He created death and life. The two aspects of life. Life and death. For what purpose? To try and test all of you to see which of you are the best in conduct. That's the sole purpose of coming into this arena, this, this lab, or whatever you want to call it, this planet Earth and our limited sphere of life, so that we can be on this constant trial of life and death 
which is the greatest test. I want to live. Who doesn't say that? Even the person at the last moments of life, at the back against the wall and everything against them, they're fighting to survive. This is the, this is the human spirit. It's in everyone and everything. In fact, it's in all life. Life strives to live. It doesn't seek death. It wants to avoid death at all costs. It does whatever it can not to die. It does everything it can to avoid the pain, the suffering, the loss of death, right? This is how we are. This is how we're wired. This is what makes us a progressive human creation above everything else that's out there. And the beauty of it is, as, as we've moved along in our evolutionary path, that deeper sense of self-worth related to life has only refined and made us even better than those that are below us. Made us greater than the simple organisms that started out life. Now, if you know biology and the beginning of the of origin of life, you know simple single cells. And you think about those simple single cells, what you would say to God is, oh God, I like that life better. I want to go back and be amoeba because amoeba didn't feel so much pain as I'm feeling right now. Amoeba don't feel cold, it don't feel heat, it don't feel the pain of loss of a loved one. It doesn't have the same sense of hunger and thirst and the drive to, to want to do something with the creative talents you have. It just, it's just floating around. It's a simple amoeba, and it's happy. So I remember the fourth khalifa, Hazrat Mr. Tarad Ahmad, Allah bless him always, he spoke about this in his book called Revelation Rationality. And he said, those people who complain of the suffering of life, you ask them, you give them a choice. Would you want to be that worm beneath your feet? who in a sense is probably quite happy living in its, 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 its realm of dirt and whatever it's eating and has lack of sensory perception of a lot of pain as we have. But the poor worm is of a lower consciousness and doesn't feel as much pain as we do. It's not suffering because you ripped that poor worm out of its family system in the ground and took it to the ocean to, to, to be used for fish. And so what anyone in this world who's asking God, why suffering? Would want to go back to a level where we didn't suffer so much and think that's a better world for us. Think that that's a better plan. God, keep us all at that level of a lower consciousness where we don't have the struggles we have now in the human family. And I'm sure there's very few, even among atheists, who would say, yeah, that's a better life. I, I think that's the way to go. And so we understand from this concept that the trial of life and death is what brought us from that lower organism called the amoeba to what is now the human being and continues to propel us forward on the path of progress and evolution and perfection of our beings. And this is a mercy, a blessing that comes from that being who understood his creation better than anyone else. In this sense, again, the verse of Quran speaks about it's universal. So there's no injustice in this system in which we all live. You could say that if it was like a system where only the haves are getting it and the haves not, then you would say, God, you're unjust. We are suffering in this part of the world in America, but the people in the other part of the world are not suffering. So God, your system isn't balanced. But as we can see across the board, as I said, not even those who disbelieve in God, 
Imagine the case of those who believe in God. God says, even them, you're going to go through this trial of life and death. And the Quran then speaks to this in the second chapter, where it says, and I, we will try you. Bishayin with something, min al khawf, of fear, well, Jew and hunger. And loss from your wealth and your own beings, and your livelihood. Samarat in Arabic can also be your offspring, because if you are a tree, so to speak, then you produce something which can be like fruit. So in all those cases, you see, these are what universal trials of life. Across the board, everyone suffers them, even the prophets of God, those whom God loves the most. And in the next verse, it gives a solution. It says, and give glad tidings, who pass through this life, knowing this trial and test, and are patient. And what do they say? Now, when a Muslim hears these words, they automatically think about death. They say, oh, he's talking about death here. But look at the verse. The verse is not talking about death. The one I quoted earlier is talking about the polarity of life that you're striving to get away from death. So while you're striving to get away from death, what are you crossing? What are you facing in life? You're facing all of these struggles and challenges. Fear, hunger, the, the worry about providing for yourself, food, clothing, shelter, etc., taking care of your loved ones. And if you don't get hit by one of them, you'll be, you will get hit by one of the other. No one gets a, a, a free pass in this world. And that's the equality not even the prophets. And thus you say, O oh God, all good comes from you, and all good returns to you. And it's a prayer we've been taught, and sometimes we forget that when you lose something, you say, what do you say? Oh, oh help me. You, know, you don't say, oh, help me. You say, oh, God, you gave this to me to begin with. Oh, God, you can give to me again. So anything that is a benefit is what God creates. He creates light, not death. He creates light, not darkness. It's the absence of life that is death, or the absence of, of light that is darkness. So we want to strive for light and life. That is what is the, the, the source of our peace and comfort. And that is what the, the, the Quran is talking about. So herein, I'm reminded of the case of a, a woman once who was pointed out to a companion of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And he said, should I show you someone who was a, of the people of paradise? And the companion who, who was listening to him said, yes, yes, show me. And he pointed this dark-skinned woman, black woman, who was there. And he said, this is a lady who once came to the prophet of Islam. And what did she say when, he, when she met him? She said, oh, prophet of God, I'm suffering from epilepsy. She has the fits, Right. And when I have a bout of ep epilepsy, I fall down and my garments become unloosened and my body is exposed. So imagine the struggle, right? You talk about suffering and pain and, and mental anguish. Think about this poor lady, what she's saying I'm going through right now. I'm having a health problem that is, it's a long-term health battle. You know, it's not something that's come like a cold or something. This is something you deal with for a long time. And she has a sense of her own modesty, that she doesn't like to be exposed to the society because she's become a Muslim. So pray for me, she says. But what did the prophet of God 
Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, do? Did he say, oh yes, oh God, relieve her of, this, of her struggles? He always understood and epitomized the verse of Quran I started with, that life is a struggle, but give glad tidings to those who are patient and prayerful, that they will earn blessings in the process. Life will not detract from the fact that they have something that puts them at a lower condition than others. So he said to her, I tell you, I give you two options. And you decide which one you have cho chosen. Option one is I will pray and God will move this ailment from you. And then go on with your life. Or option two is I will pray that God gives you patience and you deal with it. And I give you glad tidings of paradise. Two great options to think about. I can be free of this epilepsy exposure to of my nakedness to the world and go on with my life and have a good life now. Or I can deal with this. I can bear with what I had to cross in my path and be patient and trust that in the end, God will reward me for that patience. So she thought about it and she said, oh, prophet of God, I will be patient. But I request you please to pray for me at least that when I have a fit, my body is not exposed. My nakedness is not shown to the world. And this is where she ended her request again. And this is a lesson for us to learn about suffering and pain. It is always in a perspective. It's relative. It's not a complete de definition that this is what pain or suffering is. It will change from person to person. And so Prophet Islam says that when you're suffering, always look down, never look up. Because you'll find someone looking down who is worse than you. Think about this world. Who is worse than you? The old story is I used to complain by not having any shoes until I met a man who had no feet. Heard the expression? Once someone asked the prophet of this age, Hazrat Mizr Ghulam Ahmad Ali Afqariyan, Prophet that you claim that God loves you and that God loves those who believe in him. Yet what we see is that you and those who you say God loves are enduring more trials and tribulation than those whom he does not love or who do not love him. So why is that? Hazrat Ahmad answered and said, it may be so as you think, but go and ask those people who are going through what you believe is a trial, trouble, tribulation. What do they think? And if they believe that trial and tribulation, as you perceive it, is really ecstatic joy, and they're embracing it and enjoying it, and they don't see it as a trial, but they see it as a gift, a bounty that came from God Almighty. How can you call that a trial and tribulation? He deeply understood a philosophy of life that prophets of God understand. As I said, they all go through it. The prophet of Islam, Muhammad, peace be upon him, who we believe to be the best of all creation, who we believe that God is saying to him that if I hadn't created you, O Prophet Muhammad, there would be no need to create this heaven and earth. It was all done because I knew there would be someone like you to come on my earth 
to love and worship and obey me. But how did he treat the one in this narrative, in this, this concept that he loved so much? Was he not orphaned twice in his childhood? Did he not lose the love of the next person who was his patron, his grandfather, and then his uncle? Did he not marry and then face the loss of that wife years later? Well, for three years, they were struggling in a, in a valley where they were completely boycotted and had no food and water. It was so stressful time for them that some companions said that they were so hungry that they never walked along and felt anything soft beneath their feet, and they weren't even bother looking at it. They were just, just grabbing and throwing it in the mouth. They were being beaten and dragged through the streets. They were being killed. They had to face war. The prophet of Islam had his teeth broken out. One of his companions heard this, who could not be there, Owais Karani, once he heard that the prophet of Islam lost his teeth, he was so overwhelmed with grief at the loss of this prophet, he broke his own teeth, thinking about the pain of his beloved one. And his daughter was killed. His uncle was martyred in the field of battle and had his, his liver torn out and chewed by his enemy. And he had to endure all these things. And this is the one you say that God loved the most. And I'm just giving you a small glimpse of what he went through and endured. But in fact, he himself was the one who spent nights upon nights upon nights glorifying and praising and worshiping God and thanking him, as I mentioned early, about those who see not struggles, these are not stumbling blocks. These were their stepping stones that get higher and higher. And this is how they rose up. The Prophet told a story about one great Muslim saint. His name was Bayazid al-Bistami. And it's a wonderful story about this whole concept. And he was this saint in a town where there were other families who had saints amongst them, and they were jealous of him. They thought that how could this man of a lower family and of no standing rise up to be considered a saint and God talks to him? We're better off than him. So God informed Bayazid al-Bustami of this attitude. And he addressed the crowd one day and he told, told them this parable. He said, it's like the difference between water and oil. It's mentioned that one night, oil mixed with water was burning in a, in a, in a lamp, and the two began to, to debate. And oil said that, you know, you're heavier and dirtier than me, and I am the source of purity, and I'm very refined. Yet, when we're together, you always rise above me. Why is that so? How come you're above me? Why do you float above me, and I am this pure, purifying agent? And oil addressed water and said, you have no idea what I went through to become oil. <laughs> you have no concept. I was first a seed and buried deep in the earth. I had no light, nothing, just completely buried as with nothingness. And finally I grew and fought my way back to the surface. And as soon as I got up, they cut me down. <laughs> Sliced me from the root and, and dragged me out. And then they began to refine me and, and pull me through a, a mechanism to pulverize me and grind me in a mill 
And finally, through all that process of grinding and cutting and, and, and pushing me into this pulver, into this nothingness, I became oil. So through this process, should I not have risen above you from all that I endured? This is, and I will try you with something of loss, of everything you hold dear. But if you are patient and you go through this trial, like any trial or test in life, you become a person who has excellence in degrees based on your level of trial. And thus, this is the overarching theme that the Quran talks about, that suffering is relative to that being who is human, striving for perfection, to evolve from a lower to a higher level. And no one wants to devolve from a higher to a lower level and think that is happiness. Yes, suffering and pain and all these things we, we, we feel. And yet it's a life lesson that we all go through. And we know there's benefit in it. In 1996, maybe you've seen the scene or you've seen a clip of it. We had the centennial celebration of the Olympics. It was held in America in a city called Atlanta, Georgia. And they were wondering that who would be the person who would have the honor of lighting the Olympic torch. This was going to be a grand honor for anyone in America. That person represented the best of America. That person represented the highest ideals and hope of a sportsman, of, of a, a statesman, of the true American. And so at the moment that the person ran up with the cauldron to hand it off. The whole world was watching. 3.5 billion people, they said, were watching this scene. Who, who's it going to be? And suddenly, almost out of nowhere, appeared this figure that the whole world gasped when they saw. It was Muhammad Ali, who was considered the greatest heavyweight boxer of all time. He grabbed that torch, and with hands shaking, he lit the cauldron and started the Olympic game. But it was this scene that really caught, captured the eyes. Muhammad Ali was that person who used to, he said, I used to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. And his prose, his, back then that, that uh, poetry, which nowadays will be like uh, a rap almost, that itself would cause his, his opponents to run in fear because he had such a, a sharp whip in a, in, a, in, a, in a tongue of oratory. He had physical prowess. People feared him. He had all these gifts. He was a good-looking man. He was the greatest champion of all time. And yet here on that stage, his hand was shaking. Why? Because he had contracted a disease called Parkinson's and was losing all that physical prowess, losing that gift of oratory, losing the ability to hold even a simple torch in his hand without shaking. And he is the man who used to say, I am the greatest. No one can beat me. Look at me. I float like a butterfly, I sting like a bee. No one can take out Muhammad Ali. But he would later on say in his life, those last 10, 20 years of his life taught him some great lessons. He said that God gave me Parkinson's disease so I would know that he is the greatest and not me. And that is the humility that he learned from that lesson of a suffering disease for 20 years of plus of his life, of losing all those faculties he had that, that the world honored and respected and enjoyed. 
and living a humble life of reclusion. Away from the spotlight, the fame and the fortune was all gone, but he did not care. He had found his purpose and his peace with God, and he was satisfied in that condition of life. And this is the lesson that it's not just for a prophet of God. Not just a person living 14 centuries ago in the time of the prophet Islam, who he said is going to be heaven bound. But even now in this day and age, for those who are fortunate to understand their purpose of life and to let the trials and challenges of life bring them closer to that purpose and not further away. The hot water, as they say, is the same for the potato or the egg, right? You heard the expression. It can make you soft or it can make you hard. It all depends on what's inside you, better or bitter. And life, therefore, is, again, equal for all of us. Yes, in this day and age, if you think about what our fourth caliph said, the scheme of life, take that away. Let everyone be the same. A world where there's no sickness, there's no hunger, there's no, no trouble. And say to God Almighty, let there be no more suffering, no more pain. No more trials and tribulations and troubles. Let there be no, no more pandemics, earthquakes, no floods. Let every villager, wherever they may be, have as much as every city dweller in every developed nation. And think about what that would mean for us as a human world, much less the animal and insect and lower creation. What would motivate you and I to go beyond where we are at that point? Would not I come to a standstill? Have we not seen that sometimes the children of the most wealthy and famous, they sit in a life of almost inertia? Nothing to do. No purpose. No goals but to spend up mommy and daddy's money, and that's it. And that doesn't even satisfy them. If the richest, the wealthiest, the healthiest, the, the most connected people in the world are the best, then why aren't they the happiest? Why do they suffer even as much as anyone else on this planet? Why are the, the beautiful people, if someone says, oh God, why didn't you make me so beautiful like so-and-so? Why do the beautiful people get divorced and face struggles in their own homes and don't find satisfaction in their relationships any more than you do to so-called ugly people who aren't as beautiful? Why do all these things happen? When the Quran also says about nations, if you're going to go that way, that even nations can't complain that we are the poor ones. Once in 1970, the third Khalifa went to visit Africa. First visit of a Khalifa to Africa. And he addressed the Nigerians. And in that address, he pointed out that you and I weren't always part of the undeveloped world. At one point, we were developed and civilized, and we had powerful empires and civilizations. And you and I, therefore, cannot think that God didn't give us something in our history of, of a civilization, of a nation, that lets us know that he cared about us too. This is the thing we think about the world. Think about South America and the, the Aztec, the Mayan, the Incan empires. We go down, 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 you see the ruins and say, oh, look at these interesting ruins. You forget that those were people who you look at now as being the poor, the undeveloped world. They were the civilized powerful nation. The Quran talks about them, that there were, there were civilizations that lived, existed, that are even more powerful than you. God didn't forget anybody. He gave everyone a chance, and so it's only a matter of relative how you see someone right now. 
the complexion of our skin because you're part of that part of the world, a brown or black or red, in this current modern era may be something that is looked down upon. But at some era, it was the one you aspired to be. And it will keep changing. God calls this ayam. Ayam Allah, the days of God. They keep changing. He keeps giving everyone in this world opportunity to rise up, enjoy it, and then go back and struggle again. Rise, and enjoy it, and struggle again. I sometimes tell my friends, you know, you go to a hospital and look at the person who's lying with all those things hooked to their body and think about them. They're sometimes going through that struggle of life and death and they're at the critical point of life and death. Any moment could be that last moment for them. And you walk in the room and you see that, that monitor that's, that's hooked up. And I say, look at that monitor. If you see the machine going like this, movement, it means something. If you see it go like that, it means something else. What most people want, they want like this. Let it be real smooth and flat and easy, God. Okay, I'll make that for you if that's what you want. Real smooth and flat and easy. <laughs> you ask me, God, I want this. <laughs> that's life. That is the challenge of life. That is the motivation of life. That keeps pushing us forward. And that is the beauty of life that those who complain to God don't understand. That in this arena, this struggle of life, that all of us continue to, to move forward and gain the progression that we see throughout the world, individually and collectively. So in a nutshell, what our beloved Prophet of God, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, learned 14 centuries ago, answered the question that not just Americans today, but humans throughout the course of human history have been asking and have given them the way forward that this life will have some challenges there will be some trials. At times you will suffer. You will feel pain. You can't take that away from the human experience. That is what human is. But if you follow the course of striving to do, do your best and be your best, you will survive. You will thrive. You will reach a higher level with each passing generation, each successive group that comes on earth within yourself and around yourself. And this is what will lead us to the higher levels of our own conscious, whether it's just mental, moral, spiritual, and make us reach the goal and purpose of our life. And that is the answer which I believe even today, as youth are struggling with this issue, why I'm born in so-and-so country, how come they're richer and we're, we're poorer, why is there disease and destruction? Oh, God, stop, stop the lightning from falling so that no one gets hit by lightning. Very few people die from lightning bolts. The most death comes from human hands, wars. This pandemic taught us that. It wasn't the virus that killed most people. It was the response or lack thereof to the presence of a, a novel virus, I mean, a new one. And those countries that 
responded quickly and understood the science and took care of their citizens, guess what? They did not suffer. They have not lost life and had their society destroyed as much as those nations, some of them powerful, rich nations, who failed to do so. Unnecessary loss of life because we as a human creature, creation have lack of knowledge. And so the difference between this world and the next when we get there and can ask God all the questions you want. In that world, the believers greet each other with a greeting that says, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. And the last thing they'll say is, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. All praise belongs to God. Why? Because now there's no more pain and suffering. Now we understand all the laws, all of the system that God has put us into. And we don't make the mistake. If I can't swim, I don't jump in water. If I don't have an asbestos suit on, I don't put my hand in fire. If I don't understand how this virus works, then I got to learn that lesson and put up some warnings and do what I got to do. But once I learn that, the virus won't take me out in the next life because God teaches me all, all those things. This is why this is a different world that we're going to go into. Now with that, I, I feel that I want to end it only on this last thought. That the atheist wants a world where they are the designer. The atheist wants a world where they are the one who's controlling what comes out of the lab. And you give them that power. You ask them the question, what would you change? What aspect of this suffering would you make different? Would you create the sharks with the, with the, with the razor-edged teeth? floating in the oceans, but as soon as a man dives in, his teeth turn to feathers? Would you make the eagle with the claws that will swoop down to, to capture the prey, but as soon as it swoops down, it will not hurt anything. No prey can be captured by that, that beast of, of the air. Would you make the fire so that it can burn and destroy, but as soon as it comes near home, all of a sudden it becomes water. Properties that will now wash the walls, not burn the walls. How would you change the laws? What would you design your babies? They had this concept some time ago with cloning babies or making babies, getting genetic codes to now say, I want a baby with brown eyes or blue eyes or this complexion or that kind of hair. How would you form the human creature so that everyone now is happy? All have this color or that feature or those qualities. Where still someone would not complain. If not today, a generation or two down the road who says, we no longer like thin people. We like heavy people. It keeps changing, right? The standard of beauty around the world. The standard of happiness. What makes you happy? So what would they do to God's creation to create that kind of equilibrium that everyone now in their world is happy or not just at the mercy of the forces of chance to let it be as you wish. In that case, then you're still not any better off than you are right now. All you do is taken God out of the equation and made your chance a scapegoat. Yeah, it's all chance, so it's all good. You don't have it, you don't have it. It's just not my fault. You know, you should have been born rich, you're born poor, so that's, that's how it is. Is that world any better? And I think we can see from that the world that is proposed in that case would not be any better or be worse. And as I 
mentioned before, everything would come to a standstill if you made it all equal because there'd be no impetus, no motivation to propel us forward for change. This is what is the difference between the concept of suffering according to the Muslim perspective and the real world and according to those who denounce the world or deny the existence of God because of suffering. And I hope that we can look at this and see some glimpse of a deeper appreciation and understanding of the world we're in and be able to utter those words when we face out our trials and tribulations that, oh God, you are absolutely good and all good came from you. And oh God, all good returns to you. So let me also in this world remember that and strive to be as good as I can be. So when I return to you, you'll admit me amongst those who you see has, have done the best in conduct as possible and forgive any fault or shortcoming and admit me amongst those who are the heirs, the inheritors of that garden which will bring so much peace that when a person is asked, according to Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, in the garden, the paradise, did you suffer in the world anything, any hardship? He said the person who is the most wretched of all souls, who finally reaches the heaven, is asked this question. Did you suffer at all in this world? And he will say, after having dipped, just a dip in paradise, he'll say, oh God, I didn't suffer at all in this world. Not a moment of, of, of trouble did I have. This is not something where he's saying because of just a temporary kind of uh, forgetfulness of, of the joy. It's the reality. Add it all up. What would be a few years of some struggle if God gave you so many decades of, of enjoyment? What's a few days of hunger or a few months or a, a generation of some struggle if he gave your group generations and centuries of blessing? We can never count all the favors of God. And when we do, we realize it's a very small window of struggle and suffering that is there. And so the inmates of heaven realize that, that oh God, I didn't suffer. It's like a little prick. Oh, that was nothing. I forgot that. What, what are you talking about? Yeah, yesterday you were walking around with, you know, you, holding your head and crying. Oh, I forgot all that. That was yesterday. Today I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm happy. I'm, I'm ready to move. Let's go. And that's how this world is. So may we remember this and be in this world heaven bound and be in the world those who enter heaven and praise God and remember how much. And akhri da'wana, our last word is, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. That was Mr. Azir Hanif, um, and that was played at the God Summit, which is hosted by the Review of Religions. And it's an amazing summit, very faith-inspiring, um, different topics, uh, different accounts of people's experiences with God. Uh, and I'll end with I'll end this topic just by saying that as <coughs> Muslims, like I mentioned in the beginning, our core fundamental beliefs is based on the fact that we believe in one God, and that God is not. Uh, 
a God that doesn't speak. It's a God that we have a living relationship with and a God that says that if you pray to me, I will answer your prayers. So ultimately, we believe that we have a purpose and that purpose allows us to accept whatever the situation is that we're in. Ultimately, knowing that whatever that situation, whatever cause we have been dealt with, if we react in the right way, we use the right tools, then the outcome of that situation will always be a positive one and it will be one that brings us closer to God Almighty. We're of course very sensitive to the fact that not everyone shares this belief and there are different forms of suffering but as Muslims this is our fundamental beliefs and this is the purpose that allows us to strive closer and closer to God. It's been a very um, interesting show. It's been good to be in the studio with you guys. We're just coming to an end. Any last thoughts? Any last comments? Anything particular that you're looking forward to in this next coming week? Um, Apart from the weather, <coughs> hopefully cooling down. It's extremely hot. Actually, I just took. A, I went outside just to hand someone something, and it's extremely hot. Yeah. Uh, what am I looking for? No, no nothing. Sort of. Well, I suppose as we were sort of discussing offline. Uh, you know, kids are going to school. Um, my son's going into reception as is Hamza's daughter. So that'll be a uh, yeah. What do you do now if you if you receive a letter from the school saying uh, sorry, school's closed? We've got, got no. I got the message saying that they've been fine. done the inspections and we're all we're good to go. No, but I'm saying oh. uh, just for the argument's sake, if you, if it was to affect you, yeah. would that affect your whole kind of. Uh, as as parents, as um, it would affect one parent more than other, is it? We oh yeah, I see. Yeah, 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 no, I'm 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 uh, we're quite lucky. My wife um, doesn't work, so <laughs> in terms of would it affect my uh, kind of uh, ability to work and go about uh, our lives properly? Not not really. I would yeah, continue yeah. working. She would be able to look after uh, Inara and help Inara to do whatever online you know set up the school yeah. has but it would just be you know I'm sure it would be the same for Shams it would be frustrating you know yeah. you know, my daughter's excited to go to school wants to go to school wants to meet her new friends meet her teacher and you know if she starts getting to if she starts thinking that school is this weird thing where you look at a computer screen and you know you do some learning and I, yeah. I can then imagine that the, the reintroduction of proper school would be quite very would be very different yeah. and it'd be very different and would she enjoy it as much and know what it was about I don't know I think it'd be quite frustrating for everybody yeah how about yourself Shams yeah I mean <clears throat> I don't think it would affect me too much I think um, for me actually something I've been thinking about is you know obviously it's a big step in a child's life and now you're handing over sort of even though you know my son along with loads of other other kids would have gone to sort of preschool and, and nurseries and whatever but this is sort of the official beginning isn't it of this sort of uh, is it a 15 year career now does he have to wear them? a tie no he doesn't actually yeah, luckily um, but it's you know it's important wear for, a tie for, in reception I've yeah. seen yeah, some pictures of some yeah, 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 yeah. some, some kids do wow but it's a big step you know I know we don't have long but it's a big step in sort of a child sort of Development, you're you're handing them over to, to, to teachers who you who and you trust for a long period. And teachers hold great regard and value yeah, in, yeah. in our religion as well, because almost uh, you know, like you said, you're entrusting them with your children. Mm. Uh, they probably see them for uh, in, uh, in the example that we use, where the father figure is normally working all day. So yeah. potentially, this your child might be seeing your teacher more than they're seeing you. So it's like it's a huge trust, um, and teachers are a pillar of our kind of communities and societies because Absolutely. you know they really have a big hand in 
in developing, in developing child, our yeah. future basically yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting show with that we're gonna wrap today's Saturday morning live up it's been great uh, having you guys listening in it is a live and interactive show please do join us next week until next time may the peace and blessings of God be upon you all